planning and saving and so much sacrificial labor of love in so many different ways, so much energy and time has been invested in this building in which we can now thankfully and gratefully worship the Lord this morning. Now, why was all of this effort and energy and investment put in to this building? What is it for? What did you do it for? If we reflect upon the purpose of this building, we get a clue when we look at how the building is laid out. The pews are all pointing in a direction. And that direction is right here, the pulpit. Why is that? It's because from this pulpit, the word of God is proclaimed. And that's what everything focuses on. And that's what everything is about. And that's why we have this building, because God calls his church to worship. And when we gather before him, he speaks to us in the preaching of the gospel, spoken, and in the preaching of the gospel, visible in the sacrament. That's what's happening in this building. As of today, God is gathering and defending and preserving his church by his word and spirit. We know that. A lot of people don't. A lot of people that consider themselves Christians don't get that. Many, both in our time and in the time of the Apostle Paul, don't get it. The temptation is always that the focus is not on God and God's word, but that the focus starts to shift over to man. That's what was happening in the time when Paul wrote the first letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were starting to lose the plot. They were starting to forget what it was all about. They were starting to focus not on the word of God, but on the men who were mere vessels, mere clay jars, and they were starting to focus on these men. They were impressed with their favorite preachers. But even worse, they were impressed with men that spoke with human eloquence and with worldly wisdom. Because that was that was really, really valued in the time that the New Testament was written. Eloquence and good looks and a good presentation. It doesn't matter what they're saying. But it's the presentation that counts. And further, the believers in Corinth were also really impressed with all the fireworks and all the, all the impressive things connected to the special gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so worship became something not focused on God and what is God saying to us, but worship became, look at me. Look at the special gift that I have. Hey, be quiet. It's my turn now. People want to hear my thoughts. Let's make things more seeker-friendly. Let's, let's adapt things to the world's tastes and the world's understanding. 
That's what the worship service became. It became a gong show there in Corinth. I want to show my gifts. I want to speak my thoughts. Look at me. Hear me speak. Hear me sing. Look at me dance. Look at me do this. Look at me do that. It became basically an America's Got Talent kind of show, and everybody was looking for the golden buzzer moment. You know, when that happens, whether it's in the time of Paul or today, there may be a lot of God talk, but in the end, it's all about us, how cool and amazing and how relevant and how hip we are. And Paul, he tells the Corinthians off. He says, listen, get it right. It's not about men. It's about God. It's about God's wisdom. It's about God's word. It's about the beauty of God's holiness. It's about God's power. You're talking, says Paul, you're talking like immature little kids. You think you're so advanced spiritually, but you're talking in a human way, not in a divine way. You're talking in a fleshly way, not in a spiritual way. Paul says, get it right, Corinthians. The guy who plants, the guy who waters, they're nothing. Apollos is nothing. I am nothing. We're not important. It's about God. We're laboring with God on God's project. You are God's field. And then he changes the metaphor. You are God's building, God's building project. Now, not any kind of building, because a little later on, you remember we read the chapter, a little later on he says what kind of a building they are. They're a temple, a house where God lives where the Spirit of the Almighty God dwells in power. And Paul says, that's who you are, congregation. And that's true for the Corinthians, and that's true too also for the congregation in St. Albert. You are God's building. And the word he uses for building is the same word that he uses throughout the New Testament and other letters as well for edification. So if we translate it literally, it's kind of like, you are God's edification. You are God's building up. You are God's building project. And so what is this building for? Maybe you thought it was a little weird to see the title of the sermon, a building for the building of a building. But that's what it is. This building was built so that in this building, a building may be built. Getting confused yet? God is at work. And as of today, in this building, it becomes a construction site. We thought it was all over, didn't we? But it's today when it really begins. It becomes a construction site for a building far more glorious and beautiful than this beautiful building is. It becomes a construction site for a building made of living stones that are being formed and shaped and prepared to be part of this breathtaking and eternal cathedral, the church Catholic, all tribes and tongues and nations, a multitude which no man can number, the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what God is doing in this place. It's not about us in the first place. It's about what he is doing. In every time, in every age, the temptation is to look 
to the wisdom of man. Cool hipster preachers and worship leaders, really awesome uh, singers and praise groups and and lighting and, and glitzy presentation, we think that will attract the world. We say with Paul, no, it's not about man. It's not about what man thinks or feels or wants or is attracted to. It's about God. And when we know that and when we hold on to that, then we love the foolishness of preaching. Because that's the last thing that's going to attract people, right? We want to attract people to the gospel. Why do we have one person sit up at the front and talk for half an hour or more? foolishness to the world. And yet, the foolishness of the world is the wisdom of God. It's the foolishness of preaching that is the power which feeds and makes grow the church of the living God. Because the preaching is the very speaking of God. And when God speaks, things happen. Do you remember children in Genesis chapter 1 when God made the heavens and the earth and it was all still formless and dark? And when God speaks, what happens? Things happen. God says, let there be light. Light. God says, let there be trees and and animals and and humans. And it happens. Now, preachers may come and go. And elders come and go. God doesn't need or depend on one specific person to do certain things. His kingdom will advance with power. His church will be gathered, defended, and preserved by his word and spirit. And we get to participate with God in this heavenly building project. That's what he says in verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. This is the workshop of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is present, and the Word of God is present, and things happen, dead Sinners are brought to life. Hard hearts of unbelief are softened and regenerated and become believing and love the Lord. And that's why those of us who believe in the power of the word of God love to have our children in worship as soon as they can be. Because we know that our little children too need to hear the gospel. They need to have the Holy Spirit working in their little hearts. Change them. From this pulpit, the word of God comes. And it does something. Let's open the Bible for a second to Ephesians chapter 4 and have a look at that chapter. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul's talking about the officers in the church, he says, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building, there's the word, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what's happening in this worship of the Holy Spirit, every worship service. God speaks. 
And this growth and, and building up until we're more and more and more like Jesus. That's a good thing. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. There's the word again, so that it builds itself up in love. That's what's happening in this building. God is building his holy temple. And so from the power of the word brought to us from the pulpit and taught to us and, and applied to us by the elders and the deacons and the home visits and in the counseling, by the catechists and the catechism classrooms, by the word of God applied and taught by the parents and by the teachers at school and at home, by the word of God ministered to one another in love as we meet together in Bible studies and as we visit each other in fellowship with one another. It's all building, building, building. Yes, we get to participate. We get to contribute to God's building project. Now, how should we do that? Well, Paul, in this chapter that's before us, he talks of a very important first step. It has to be built on the foundation. And we know that's important. Imagine, for instance, if this auditorium was built off the foundation. What would happen coming winter and the spring afterwards? The thing would fall down. It needs to be on a foundation. Now, the important and interesting thing about a foundation is that the foundation gives the shape to the building. If you look at the blueprint of this church building, you'll see the shape, the footprint, and then the building is built up in that same shape. And the same way in the, in the church of God, in the temple of the Holy Spirit. The foundation, says Paul, is Christ. And that means Christ gives the shape. You can see from a mile up what the foundation is of the church. It is in the shape of Christ. And secondly, Paul says, we need to build on that foundation with materials that reflect the glory and the purpose of the building. If you're going to build an old shed at the back of your acreage to throw some junk in, you're going to use certain materials. If you're going to build a palace for a king, you're going to use other materials. And so Paul says, be careful with what you're building. Be careful what you are contributing because if there's a great palace, if there's a great temple where a holy God dwells, then that should be visible from a mile off by the way in which it is built and adorned. In the Old Testament, the temple was adorned with gold and silver and, and precious stones. What is the way that the spiritual temple of God in the New Testament is adorned and made beautiful? Well, we saw that at the end of Ephesians chapter 4. Church is built up in love. And if we turn to Galatians for a second, Galatians uh, chapter 5, and we look at verse 22, we see the beautiful ornaments that are appropriate for decorating and ornamenting the 
the spiritual temple of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Well, that list is the very character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so faithful preachers need to do more than just speak true doctrine from the pulpit. That's not enough. Their preaching and their teaching and their pastoring needs to be in the power of the Holy Spirit who transforms from glory to glory after the image of Christ. Paul says that in chapter 14 of this same letter, he says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. Well, the one who prophesies builds up the church. So faithful preachers preach truth and the power of the Spirit, calling on the people of God to be transformed, to be more and more like Jesus. And then believers take the word and they work with it. And they say, Lord, make me like you. Change my heart. Help me to mortify the flesh and help me to live in newness of life. And then we help each other, don't we? We encourage one another in holiness. We build each other up. And Paul says in chapter 14, he says, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. I want to pause here for a second. Because you often don't see that. You see a person that considers himself very spiritual. Often those people in the church sow division and discord and a party spirit. I remember many years ago I was talking to a certain fellow and he was working in a, in a community, a certain community, as a teacher. And I, I, I hadn't seen him for a long time, so I just said, how are things going? How do you like it here? He says, well, he says, you know, it's hard. I said, what's hard? He says, well, he says, it's hard when you realize that you're talking to the students, you're talking to the parents, you're talking about a Christian school, Christian community. He says, when you realize that you know, you're up here and they're down here. I was so stunned, I didn't say anything. I was just absolutely stunned. You know, when people think they're full of the Spirit, and that moves them to a life of arrogance and criticism and despising the work of God in the ordinary means of grace and in the, the ordinary living out of the gospel in families, then maybe it's not the Spirit of God that is moving them. If you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And again in verse 26 of chapter 14, let all things be done for building up. So that's what we do as faithful believers. We use the word and we, we build each other up and we encourage each other to be more like Jesus. And then faithful elders, they do the same thing. They govern for edification. They don't govern the church according to their thoughts or their pet theological hobby horses, or they don't divide the church with their opinions. No. In the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, Paul says, Our authority as leaders, which the Lord gave you, was for building up and not for destroying. And he says the same thing in chapter 13. The authority that the Lord has given in the church is for building up and not 
or tearing down. And that applies to the authority in the home as well. Moms and dads, you take the word which you receive in the preaching and which you read in the, the, the word and which you, which you study in the Bible studies and, and powered by that word, you, you are preparing in your home living stones that will be part of the eternal dwelling place of God. And as you teach the Bible stories, and as you correct the children's behavior and seek to pastor their hearts, and as you review the catechism with them, you're, you're molding their characters with scripture and with prayer, and you're building up the church. And when all this building is going on, powered by the word, driven by the spirit, teaching us in corporate worship, and applying the word in our homes and lives, then of the congregation it can be said, God is in the midst of her. When we're building one another up in love, then of the congregation it can be said what Jesus said, they shall know that you are my disciples. Not by the really cool worship services that you hold that attract the world. No, by your love. And when the Holy Spirit is building up the church by the word, then we see Psalm 48. And we look at Zion's mount and we walk around Zion's citadels and we count her towers and crenelles and we see her walls and her strong foundations and we say, this is the dwelling place of God. Now you can build well, but you can build poorly too. And Paul talks about that in this chapter. He talks about building on this glorious foundation with stuff which is useless, which will burn up one day. That happens. The foundation was there, but I, I didn't build well on it. I, I did a shoddy job. That can happen as a, as a pastor, as an elder, as a deacon, as a parent, as a teacher. And that, you know when that happens? That happens when we're too impressed with our own opinion or our own pet theological hobby horses. We're too focused on ourselves. We're too open at looking at things from the, the world's point of view. We start to, to really lose trust in the power of the simplicity of preaching. And that can happen in all kinds of ways. Pastors can get carried away with their own eloquence. They can try to build their own brand and become more and more visible online and in real life. Parents can get more focused on economic thriving than on the spiritual thriving of their children. Members can get carried away with an, with an issue or with a group, with a factious spirit. And Paul says, you know, if you're not contributing good stuff to build up the body of Christ, to build up the, the church of God, then one day those bad contributions are going to be burned up. You may be saved as though through the fire of God's righteous judgment, but everything that you contributed, which was subpar and shoddy, God will just wipe away one day. God is merciful. He saves repentant sinners. But you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person at the end of your life or the final day that you look back and say, wow, yeah, that wasn't really a good contribution. So let's, let's examine ourselves. What, what useless things am I focusing on? What contributions to the body am I making that will need to be burned up and purified out of the church because they are useless and worthless? You know, there's a way of building badly, which is even worse. And that's a way of contributing to the building of God's temple 
which actually ruins things and destroys things. Sometimes negligence and unfaithfulness crosses a line. It's not just a badly done job, but it, but it goes off the foundation. It doesn't just build poorly with poor materials, but it damages and it ruins. And Paul says, you be careful. Because God will judge he who ruins and destroys the temple of God. Imagine that during the construction of this building, every night somebody came with a sledgehammer and put it through the drywall and the windows and the stained glass. I don't think Brother Smeeting would have been too impressed every morning. That's not what we want to see, people coming in to destroy and to break down. You don't want to see somebody put a, a sledgehammer through the stained glass. But that's what happens when people rise up in the church and promote division. And they promote and contribute things which, which destroy the fellowship and destroy the communion. And we, we have to be careful because it's not always easy to ascertain where that line is between being negligent and shoddy or actually destroying. And Paul says, you be careful. God's temple is holy. God's temple is totally separated and dedicated to serve his glory. And woe to him who profanes the temple of the living God. And the easiest way to do that is to make it all about you. Make it about people. Then make it about your wishes, your desires, and your likes, and your dislikes. To make it a competition to see which group is in and which group is out. Who wins the popularity contest? That profanes the holy temple of God. It doesn't build up the building. Don't do it. You'll regret it. Anyone destroys God's temple. God will destroy him. Now, when Paul writes to the Corinthians the second, in the second letter, chapter 12, he makes a, a contrast between building up and, and, and breaking down. And he says, listen, it's in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding. There's the word again. For your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be, now listen the stuff that doesn't build up. There may be quarreling and jealousy and anger and hostility and slander. That's a common one. And gossip, conceit, and disorder. And he also speaks about impurity and sexual immorality and sensuality. These are all works of the flesh. And works of the flesh are sledgehammers through the stained glass windows of the temple of God. And we need to hate those things. And if we're bringing those kind of things into the communion of, of believers, we need to repent. And we need to turn aside from these things because they corrode. They eat away. They destroy. And here's the good thing. We, wrote, we sang about that in Psalm 48. The world tries to destroy the church, but when they see that God is in the midst of her, they turn tail and they flee in terror. The very gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. The church cannot be destroyed. Many will try from the inside through sin and, and heresy and factiousness and immorality and, and gossip and all the other works of the flesh, but they won't succeed. Many will try from the outside with persecution, but they won't succeed. The winds 
And the floods of schism and persecution cannot level the church because it is built on the foundation. It is built on the rock. And that rock is Christ. So if anybody wants to try to destroy the church, he's going to find out that he will end up being destroyed. So we are God's building. And we get to participate with God in the building of this building. You can build badly or you can build well. And you can even perhaps try to destroy, even though you won't succeed in destroying anything or anyone but yourself. But one day, the building that's being constructed in this workshop of the Holy Spirit, this construction site, one day it's going to be finished. And this is kind of exciting. Because on that day, this beautiful building around us right now will burn. Just moved in, I know, but it's going to be destroyed. And that's exciting, isn't it? Exciting. Because that same fire which will consume everything which is worthless and unchristlike in the church will also eclipse every moment, every, every movement, every hobby horse and, and all that is focused on man. And when we come to the final day, we will see the building of God, the temple of God, complete and beautiful and whole and holy and perfect and like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners. You know what happens when the rocket ship blasts off into space? Those supports that have been holding it on the, on the launching pad fall away in that fall of fire. That's what's going to happen to this building. It's a support temporarily until the final glorious manifestation of that infinite and eternal cathedral in which we will dwell forever and of which we are living stones. The holy city Jerusalem coming down from heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. The church, Catholic, complete, every believer from every nation, from every time, and from every place in a perfect, blessed, and eternal communion. God's building will be complete. Perfect, glorious. And then we're not going to need this one anymore. You know, we're very happy, aren't we, as a congregation to be here today, enjoying this gift of God. But it doesn't come anywhere close to the overwhelming and exultant joy that we will experience when we see the church of God in all her beauty, Worship and the joy on that day will be indescribable and it will never end. Amen.